Welcome to the Rob at Desk podcast. I'm Rob Blasey. Thank you so much for listening today. Pastor Drew Tarwater of Forefront Church here in Colorado talks about Genesis. Take a listen. Drew Tarwater. How you doing today? Rob, I'm great, man. Good to be with you today. Well, thanks for joining me. I, we have uh, something in common, and I wanted to bring that up here before we got going. Yeah, bring it up. We both have a luscious head of hair, and I'm just trying to compete with your head of hair. So, I mean, my headphones are kind of knocking it down a little bit, but I just, oh, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, there's certain people who are like, dang, good hair. Like, oh, yeah. especially once you start getting like to my age, I'm, I'm a few years ahead of you. It's like, once you get past 40, you're like, you see someone your age and you go, they got a good head of hair. You know, I'm, my hair was so good. I decided to buzz it all off. You what? know, I just thought that would be, be the way to go. You're just trying to get a better time. <laughs> see, you're, you're also more uh, competitive, like for your marathon training, you're gonna, like, I'm going low drag configuration. It's true. It's true. It's all about aerodynamics when yes. it comes to, to winning. So that, that's right. what I'm all about. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, but I was like, oh, yeah, that's about all we, uh, yeah, I was like, good set of hair. I saw a picture years ago, a while back your wife showed us. And yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, it used to be a real good head of hair, but you know, three kids, two dogs in church. Man, oh. went fast. Went fast. <laughs> it goes. It goes. <laughs> no, the cam- I don't have a camera in the back here to show the spot here. But no, yeah, that's where it starts, man. There's always a good, you know, it's got to have a starting point. Oh, uh, yeah. Everything, everything's got a starting point. So, uh, Pastor, Pastor Drew, talking of starting points, you've been going through with uh, your uh, congregation, the book of Genesis. Yeah, we started the new year off. We, we decided we were going to do a, a small effort. We were going to go from Gen- Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 in a year, you know, not, not trying to do anything too crazy. Jeez. And quickly, it went from a year to 15 months. Okay. And the problem is, is that the, the more I dig into Genesis, the, it's just so good that I'm going to end up extending the series longer and longer. So pray for me, because who <laughs> knows when we're going to finish this. <laughs> right? No doubt. So 15 months to get through the Bible. Yeah. It's going to be good. You know, if, if we can do it right, my, here's my plan, yeah. is that we're, you know, we kicked it off 2022, Book of Genesis. And we're breaking it into mini series, right? So like yeah. season one, season two. And so season one is Genesis and we're calling it beginnings. And we're just looking at how God unfolds what we're calling the greater story. And by Christmas of this year, we'll be at um, the empty tomb. And then by Easter of next year, we'll be at Jesus coming back. And so um, it's going to be beautiful how it all comes together. But I got to make sure I don't get too far in the weeds because I got to stay on pace. Right. Yeah. No, there's a, there's a, there's a timeline you got to stick with, I guess. There definitely is. So when you, when, Genesis is always a book that's interests me. Like, uh, like my wife just finished reading it and as she's reading it, she's like, there is some crazy stuff in here. Crazy, crazy cool. stuff. Yeah, family, so- family feuds, Nate, you know, wars, battles, lies, deception. I mean, it's like everybody's daytime soap opera fix. All I was found say, like, in the first book of the Bible. I was like, I think I've seen this on HBO Max. 
So, <laughs> but so like, there's some big questions. Like, because like when people talk about the Bible in general as a whole, they go, "Is it a scientific document?" Especially while you're talking about the creation of the Earth and the universe. What's that look like? You know, new Earth, old Earth, things like that. And and I guess I guess we should give a little bit of background. You're the pastor of a church here in Denver area, so you at least are the expert here between the two of us. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see <laughs> so, when we get into this. <laughs> it's a fascinating subject when you start thinking about, like, it is how, how do we all get here? It, it isn't. As Christians, we want the Bible to answer all of our big questions, right? Yeah. And as people, we naturally have these, these massive questions about life. Everybody has the question. How do we get here? Um, who, who made us? Why are we here? When did it happen? And, and you and I... We have a unique perspective because we are looking at the world from a, you know, 2022 viewpoint. And mm -hmm. so we have all these questions. We have all these, um, you know, we're looking back through all of what science is, ha has been saying in textbooks as we grew up and what, what we hear um, in the news. And we're trying to then filter that through what God's word says. And so we can try to make sense of it. And, and, and as you hinted on a few minutes ago, there's so many theories out there about creation. You know, is it a new earth? Is it, is it young earth? Is it, a, is it an old earth? Did God use evolution? Is theistic evolution even a thing? Did God spit it out in, is it really seven days? Or are the seven days figurative that encompass like this Dage A theory? And, and there's let's so many with, theories out there. It's crazy. Let's, let's start with that one. The uh, seven day theory creation. How many days was creation? Is it, what's well, your thought process on that? Yeah, it's really, it's really fun. I mean, you know, really it, it's six days. And then on day seven, God cracks an iced tea and sits back and, you know, looks over his creation and just takes a big deep breath and rests. And there, there has been a ton of debate over this, over the, over the centuries, right? Is God saying in Genesis one, that the world was created in seven days Mm -hmm. Or is God communicating something else? And so we actually at Forefront Church, we crawled through Genesis chapter one and we spent four weeks working through the creation story. Right. Genesis one, one to, to, to Genesis two, three is the seven days. OK. And uh, one of the interesting things are if you ask anybody that sat in on, you know, and, and was with us those four those first four weeks of the series, I never answered it directly whether it's seven days or not. So I, I left a little teaser out there for you to have to determine on your own. So what, like what, when, when you go to bed at night, what's your thought on it? Like, what do you like? I mean, there's, so, and here's the thing is like Christians as we believe God created and like, then there's some interpretive license, I guess. Like, right. This way I've heard it described, you have open-handed and close-handed beliefs. Like there's close-handed, yeah. like if you want to call it like the Nicene Creed is like kind of like the best example of close-handed where it's like, you know, we, you know, we believe that, you know, Jesus, you know, lived, you know, son of God died, rose again, perfect life right. for us, you know, for our sins. Like, yeah. that's non-debatable. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, there's that great quote by Augustine. He says, in essentials, we have to have unity. In non-essentials, we can have liberty in all things charity. And so uh, I think an essential is who created all of this? Well, God did. Yeah. And, and I think God clearly communicates that to us in Genesis 1. Maybe a, a, a non-essential in my book would be, well, how did he do it and how many days did it take, right? Right. And, and so, you know, Rob, you can say, hey, did God create the world in seven days? 
Could he have? Oh, for sure. Could God have created the world in seven seconds? For sure. Right. And yeah. so uh, there's liberty because you, you know, I could say, Hey Rob, I'm hard. I'm, I'm very firm on it. God says seven days. I'm taking that as word. And you could say, Hey, but, but you know, when we see the word day in scripture, we, we see God say things like, um, you know, God owns the cattle on a thousand Hills, right? Well, does that mean that God only owns cattle on a thousand Hills? Well, no, it means that God owns all the cattle. Right. And uh, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Well, what's God saying? Well, he's, he's saying that he he ha, he controls time, right? Time is God's. And so I think it's fun to debate, but it's not an essential issue. And, and one of the things I really had fun with in these first four weeks in Genesis 1 is we, we said, what is God trying to tell us? And so we said, we need to understand context, right? Mm -hmm. Because context is key. And so we come to Genesis 1 and you and I, we bring our 21st century questions we're like, God, how did you do it? God, when did you do it? And God, where did you do it? And God is saying, hold on a second. I need you to come asking the right questions. And the way we determine the right questions is because of context, right? Right. Because God is, remember who God's writing to. He's writing to a group of people who are in the ancient Near East, who had just been rescued out of Egypt and now are following this God they saw brought all of these plagues, if you're familiar with the book of Exodus, right? Ten plagues come. God rescues this people from slavery in Egypt. He then parts the sea. And now they're in the wilderness. And they're seeing God is, is leading them through uh, the wilderness by a cloud, a pillar of fire and a cloud. And they're going, who is this guy? And God says, let me teach you something about me. But to do it, he uses things in context that we would understand. So for you and me, if God was talking to us today, he would speak to us in, in, in terminology that we're going to get, right? And he'd use word pictures that we understand. What's right. interesting, he did the exact same thing to these ancient Near East readers 3,500 years ago. But if we can learn to put our glasses on and read it the way God intended us to read it, we can, we can glean so much from just one chapter of the Bible. No, absolutely. Well, what's one of the uh, big things you pulled out of that, that, in context. Yeah. One of the really fun things that I, I kept telling the people at, at forefront was let's not ask how, but who, so God, we want to know how, right? Like, okay, yeah. God, was it the big bang? God, did you use the, uh, where did black holes come in? Um, God, how did you do it? So was it really seven days or was it all at once? And, uh, we want to know those kind of things. God is instead saying who, Right. If you notice Genesis 1, 1, God just says in the beginning, God, right in the beginning. When's the beginning? He doesn't tell us. He just says in the beginning. Right. And, and the Hebrew for that actually means at first. So at first, God created the heavens and the earth. And so right then he's not saying how he's saying who. Another thing we see is not when, but why. And so one of, the, one of the things I really loved is this. there's this pattern in creation, okay? And so um, it, it, you see day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, right? When, when you look at that, there's a pattern. And you see what God does is he creates, and then he fills it with life and gives it purpose. And this is so cool. So, so go back and read Genesis 1. You're going to see on day one, God says, let there be light, and there's light. But it's not till day four that you see the sun and stars and moon, right? 
And so what God is doing in day one is he's creating light. But in day four, he's giving light purpose. He's saying, I'm putting stars in the sky to, to help you determine seasons. I'm putting a light in the, the sun in the, during the day and the moon at night to help you govern time and give you light to see. The same thing happens on day two and day five. You see on day two, he creates the heavens, the sky, and the seas. And then on day five, he fills it with birds and fish. And so God is telling us that the who is, I'm the creator. The why is because I give purpose to life. And so when you, when you, when you start to look at creation as a pattern, you realize that God is revealing things about himself, about his character and his nature that um, are so transcendent. It's hard to wrap your mind around, but God's telling it to us in a way where we can understand it. No, that's a, that's a good point. So is it a new earth or an old earth? It's a great question. Let me tell you something really fun. So as, as I was, um, as I was looking and doing some study in this, in, in, in this series, in the book of Genesis, I, I wanted to go back and read what could get, what is God telling these Hebrews, right? This, this, these Israelites that were grew up for 400 years, generation after generation in Egypt. And now he's trying to communicate to them who he is, right? Cause again, they're going, what is going on? Who is this guy? And he's our God. And then if he's our God, though, how come our cattle are still dying? How come growing crops is still hard? If our God can part the Red Sea and bring locusts and turn the Nile to blood, then how come I'm still getting sick, right? Or, or I, how come I lost my hair, you know, and <laughs> all of these things. And so I think God is communicating the who and the why. And so this is really cool. Notice this. So the imagine you're an ancient near east reader right and you uh, just you grew up in egypt and you hear all these stories about the egyptian creation myth and the egyptian creation myth tells you a story like this that at the beginning of time there were dark waters and they were they were endless dark waters and out of those dark waters came a god named atum and this god spoke himself into existence and this God then um, had twins, and these, these twins um, became um, known as basically sky and water, right? And I believe, it, um, if, if I can remember right, the names were, were Nut and Tefnut, and then great names. Right. And, uh, and then they had twins, and those twins were Geb, who was the earth. Right. And then there is another twin who I believe was Tefna. I think I had that wrong, who is now the sky. And then that ground became the place where a tomb who then became Ra. You've probably heard of Ra, the sun god in Egypt, who was their creator god. Ra would then rest on the ground. And then um, you have this now the story of creation that was born out of these dark endless waters. OK, so this is like the creation myth that the Hebrews would have grown up hearing from from Egypt. Now, notice what God does. God comes in on day one and says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then he says, and the earth, verse two, the earth was formless and void and empty and the spirit of God hovered over the dark waters. So what God is saying is, hey, I know you grew up hearing about this God named Atum who spoke himself out of the water and became this phoenix-like bird dude named Ra and who had twins and they became the sky. And, 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 
he said, actually, no, I am the God who created heavens and earth. And when I created everything before there, there, there were no dark waters, it was nothing. I created it all. And then it was my spirit, not a tomb, some bird God dude. It's my spirit that hovered over the waters. And what God is saying is that I created it all. And I'm the one that brings order to the chaos. And then he says, let there be light. So it's in direct conflict with the Egyptian creation myth. He's telling the people of Israel, hey, what you heard was actually, uh, it was a, a false advertising. It wasn't real. Because, let me set the record straight. I created all of this, and then I'm the one who said, let there be light. I spoke light into existence, not some sun god named Ra. He's not real. I'm the one who created it all. So like when we can see it in context of the Egyptian creation myth, it all comes into light. And we go, wow, God is using something that they would have understood 3,500 years ago to create this amazing transcendent truth for them to understand. No, that's interesting to think about when you like what was the standard knowledge of the day for them listening to this for the first time? What, what did they think when they heard it? Exactly. It's true. You know, if you think about it, the Egyptian or I'm, I'm sorry, the, the Israelites were constantly messing up, right? I mean, they, they, they go to the wilderness, if you know the story, and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and God's giving him the Ten Commandments. And before he can get back, they're asking Aaron, Moses' brother, to, to build them a a calf that they can worship. They're so used to looking at these little idols and worshiping false idols because that's what they knew in, e in, in Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. And so God over and over again is always saying, I am the Lord, your God. I am one. Even in Deuteronomy chapter six, he says um, in what's called the Shema, he says, don't forget the Lord, your God is one. And he's directly saying, hey, this pantheistic world that you grew up in Egypt with all these little gods that govern this little bitty area or had this one responsibility, those are not real. There's only one God, and it's me. And guess what? I'm the one that rescued you out of Egypt. So get to know me. And so God is just continually trying to pound that into their heads that, that there, there is only one God. And, and he, if they follow him, he's going to lead them to a life of flourishing. But they've got to learn to put their past behind them. No, it's interesting. Can I run an idea by you or a theory? Run it. On, on why people think, why like the, because I guess scientists today, it's around, they say the earth is around 13.7 and change billion years yeah. old. They've kind of narrowed down when they think the Big Bang happened, which I think is kind of cool, where it's kind of, they said, hey, this is, because uh, like evolutionists for time would just say every time there is an issue, like, well, time was their answer. Mm. Now all of a sudden it's, 13.7 year billion years right now, they don't have infinite time they have 13.7 billion <laughs> so right. all of a sudden things become a little bit more like oh we gotta you know gotta fit it all in this window yeah and so and then if you look at hardcore young earthers are saying the earth is anywhere from what 6500 to maybe 10,000 years old is the right. is the range when they do their you know what's the tables and you know family trees all the way back to adam so you go there's a big gap there it's a you know from ten thousand years to 13.7 billion right I mean, I mean like if i gave you said hey ten thousand dollars or 13 billion you're like hey that's the big gap there with big, the, gap, big, no big gap so i think there's three events in history that kind of 
like where you go, okay, it could be a younger earth. And once again, I'm open to both to an extent. I just, if God created, I don't believe in evolution in the sense that we created ourselves Mm -hmm. because that goes and, you know, anti to what God said. Right. So, but the thought is, is going, okay, there's three major events that changed how we look at things and how we can see things. And I think the first one that people would think of in Christianity would be the flood. Right. Right. The flood. So the, you know, globes covered completely by water, it changes a lot. So when things are dated and things, who knows how that changes a big global catastrophic event. I'm, it's pretty interesting to watch like is Genesis history, that documentary and things with, oh, yeah. right. with, uh, with Del Tackett and things like that. You go, okay, there's that, there's that event. And then you go, was when God formed the earth, like, we're assuming Adam and Eve, when he created them, they weren't infants. So they were created with some age. Right. So it's like, and trees and things were formed. So things weren't, you know, seedlings. They had to, they were formed at some, with some age, whatever that age is. It's an unknown. So you go, like how many rings were on a tree if Adam cut one down on day two? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. who, Who knows? Like, I don't know. Did Adam have a belly button? I don't know. So, so things like that. So you just don't know. And then I think the third one, which I think is really interesting, that could sort of change like a perspective. Like I've heard it explained like a piece of glass or like when you look at water, it's like it refracts what you can see mm-hmm. is the fall of man where God cursed everything. Yeah. And so you go, you know, we were created possibly with age. It was cursed. And so there's some big variables in there. We just go, we don't. And then the flood, we go, we just don't know what things look like. Right, right. And so, and when you look back through history and what science can show us through history, if you're looking at it from an evolutionary worldview, you would never see those as anything more than another change or cycle Mm -hmm. or whatever. But as a Christian, you kind of go, that might be a point where there's these big, a big gap in something and you go, Oh, right. Right. Now it's a, it's, it's a good point. Um, you know, like that theory between macroevolution and microevolution, yeah. a bird can change its beak color, but you never see, you know, but, but can a lizard become, you know, a, a, a dog, you know, like the, the transitionary species. And yeah. so it's, it's a big debate. One of the fun things we were talking about as part of the series is if you think about it, how does God speak to us? He speaks to us through his word, right? Yep. But also through nature. Like we learn a lot by studying the way the world works. Mm-hmm. So God speaks to us through his word and through nature. Well, how do we study those things? So science is the study of nature. Theology is the study of God's word, right? Now we have this perceived conflict that exists. The perceived conflict is that science and the Bible don't, you know, they have, they're fighting, right? Whether you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian and, and, and you say, hey, science is truth or you're a Christian who says, hey, uh, the Bible is truth. What, what we find is you've got science at conflict with, with the Bible. But does it really make sense if it's the Bible and nature, it's theology and science? Really, the perceived conflict shouldn't be between the Bible and science. It should be between God or I'm sorry, between science and theology. Right. right. Well, who are the people doing the study? Well, it's. People like us, you know, 
All of us, because we live in a Genesis 3 world, are imperfect. So really, the conflict exists between imperfect people who have an imperfect knowledge, who are trying to study science and theology. See, God's word and God's nature, they would line up if we could understand them in perfect knowledge. So the, the, the perceived conflict is really, it's between us. It's between me and it's between, you know, figuratively speaking, you trying to, to make sense of this. And so we go to the Bible and we say, God, teach me what I need to know about creation and, and history and, and timelines. And God is saying, hey, I've given you the Bible and the word and, and, and the world. Let them illuminate each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we do look at the Bible and we do see that God, when I think when he created everything, he didn't create it as little seedlings that grew. He created full sequoias and full redwoods. He created Adam and Eve full grown. You know, they say that the most um, baseball players at its age 27 is the year they really break out. So I'm, I'm guessing Adam and Eve are 27. Right? He created them <laughs> at age 27. And, and then um, so I think you can say, yeah, for sure, you know, like, I don't, I don't think God has hit play and it took, you know, 13 billion years, right. For it to all come yeah. together. But what I don't know, and you asked me about my opinion, what I don't know is did God allow um, more time to take place in, in these areas? He could have, he, he for sure could have. See, I don't know what, I, I think what God is saying in the seven day picture of creation, he's, he's showing us who and why he created it. I don't know that he's telling us exactly how many days it took. Because if you're an ancient Near East reader and God was like, hey, just so you know, I ended up you know, doing this over the course of 3,265 days, they would have no ground to understand that, right? Mm -hmm. But God gave them the seven days of creation in a poem that they could understand and memorize and communicate in a verbal culture to their kids. And so again, could did God create in seven days? He for sure could have. Is God telling us that he created the world? And is he using the seven-day word picture to tell us it was seven days? I'm not so sure. I think he's doing it more. I think one of the things he's doing is he's creating a pattern to show us um, that things are made complete. Because if you notice the word, the number seven in the Bible is a number for completion. And so I think what God is saying that he makes things complete and God completed creation. And so he's telling us some transcendent truths in this word picture of seven days. Unfortunately, we science and Christians, scientists and Christians, non-Christians and Christians have gotten really hung up on that seven day thing and missed some of the truth that God really wanted to tell us. No, there's a point in there. Yeah. Where everybody wants to just fight over the, you know, what's the, what's the correct literal or literarily. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Or exactly. a, a literal seven days or literarily. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. How do you read the Bible literally, you know, or right? as literature, right? You know, there's a good debate there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So speaking of that, then we'll move on past the creation. And there are some other crazy stories in Genesis. What's the next one in your mind that pops out? You're going, yeah, this one's going to be a fun one to explain to people. Yeah. So in, in two weeks, we're going to hit um, Genesis 3, right? Where okay. mankind sins for the first time. So one of the things we talked about this week, we said, if God is good and God makes everything good, like he says in Genesis 1, then why is the world such a mess? And one of the things I said was we won't understand it all until we, we hit Genesis 2 and 3. But Genesis 2 gives us the picture of what God created the world to be like, right? Mm -hmm. And so imagine you walk into a room full of Legos 
and they're all on the floor and you start building those Legos together, you have no idea what you're building, right? And you can create something, but you have no idea what it was originally meant to be. Well, Genesis 2 gives us the picture of the Lego box. It's the schematic of what the Millennium Falcon was, is supposed to look like if you build it right, right? And, and so God says, here's the perfect creation. And in Genesis 2, we're going to see, you know, God created man. He created us in relationship. He created us to work, all these things. He created the garden in Eden for us to, to live in. In Genesis 3, we're going to see how we mess it up because we listened to the lie, the same lie that gets us every time. And that lie is, did God really say? And from one decision that Adam and Eve make, it just spirals into a human, humankind, humanity that has born broken because of that. Because mm-hmm. so, immediately what you see is you see God creates this world, beautiful chapter two, this beautiful garden where trees are beautiful and they, they're full of ribs and delicious pulled pork and all these delicious oh, things. Yeah. That, you know, do you think that, do you and, think they do you think they ate meat in the garden? Like when was it that they when was it was it after the fall that they, we got meat, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I like to joke about that. But in the garden, it says that God gave seed, or in creation story, he tells us that God gave us seeds for plants for food, and he created trees that were that had fruit that was good to eat. And so we actually, I, I don't think we see um, barbecue enter the picture until after the flood. So, uh, so yeah, that's a interesting dilemma there where you go. It is. Yeah. But, but, you know, you see things go off the rails quick, right? Yeah. Genesis three, man sends Genesis four, first murder, Genesis five, all kinds of weird things are happening, right? All kinds of like people are having babies with each other. And then by Genesis six, you see that mankind is completely sinful except for one dude named Noah. So, and here's what's fun. I, I, there's, we have no clue how long it took us to get from Genesis three to Genesis six but I have heard some people say that there could be, have been upwards to 10 billion people on the earth by the time God decides to send the flood in Genesis chapter 6. So when they come up with the 10 billion number, do you think? Do you remember? They, do is they, they end up taking um, they end up taking so the age, you know, just think Noah, yeah. Seth, uh, Methuselah, who's like a thousand years old, right? And you end up saying, hey, if these people have children at such and such birth rate, yeah. And then they have children at such and such birth rate, and they all lived 800 years long. You could have theoretically had 10 billion people in the world at, in the, at the time of the flood. Where and are we at today? Seven, seven billion, right? Wow. So it could have been, you know, the, the theory is now who knows? I've heard, I've heard 100,000 also. So I've heard it, you know, it's, it was as low as 100,000. Yeah. But think about this if they had 10 billion people on the earth or some number in the middle, when Noah built the ark, he probably had some tools. And some technology right. to build an ark that big. Yeah, yeah, it took him 125 years too, or something like that, didn't it? I mean, he probably didn't have the M1 chip. You know, I mean, he like, probably no, didn't have. No, that. no one has that right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's crazy to think about, right? Yeah, no, it's 10 billion. I never heard that. Like 10 billion people, like where you're talking about, you know, 30 percent more people than are out there today. Right. And like when you start thinking of like how feeding a you know 10 billion people. Oh my gosh. Right. And and that well, was before it wasn't that was pre-Tower of Babel, so all the same language. Yeah, and you think about just I mean the world was so wicked, God said there's only one option here, and that's to flood the earth. Yeah, it's just like we're gonna have to restart. 
and we're going to restart with the one, the one righteous guy in this family, and Noah. Um, which unfortunately, you see the breakdown of, of of sin because as soon as Noah gets off the ark, what does he do? He gets sin. drunk. He goes and gets hammered, and then his son does something weird that we really don't understand. And then within a couple of generations, his Kids have stopped telling each other about God, and now they're all a bunch of lost sinners who don't believe in God either. And God has to call a guy named Abraham out because nobody else remembered. And so it's just story after story of us, God doing something great, and then us forgetting about it. God doing something great, and us forgetting about it. And that, my friend, is why we need Jesus. Right? <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing how it's the same story pretty much over and over and over again. Like the book of Judges, right? Uh, yep. Same story. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Yep. Just... You know, it's like the saying, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And you see that rhyme all throughout the Bible, right? Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. No, absolutely. Well, you gave me a lot to think about, Drew. Thanks for that. For sure. I know I didn't answer your question, but, you well, know, I know. We I, know. Yeah. I know. Ribs. Right now, you now you got me thinking about barbecue, and I'm trying to eat better. It's the oh, new year. Thanks for that. I know. I'm always thinking about barbecue, though. <laughs> right. I, I I've accepted barbecue into my heart and my arteries. Yeah. So <laughs> that's right, man. You got to. It's God given. God's grace. Right. Unreal. All right. Well, Drew, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way? Yeah, you can follow us at uh, Forefront Church. Um, you can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. You can catch us at ForefrontChurch.tv. Uh, we're located in Southwest Denver. So come uh, hit us up, and we'd love to hang out. Perfect, Drew. Thank you so much. All right, Rob. Talk to you soon.